So tonight we're going to read from Galatians 3, verse 15. If you're using a church Bible, it's on one page 1170. So Galatians 3, starting at verse 15. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. What, then, was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through the angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. It is the law, therefore, is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness certainly would, would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that it was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Therefore, this faith came. We, until before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the super supervision of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Uh, let's pray as we begin. Thank you, Father, that in the Lord Jesus you have conquered death and sin and promised eternity to us. And we pray, Father, as we reflect on that truth now in these words in Galatians, that you would give us understanding and by your Spirit write on our hearts the reality that the Lord Jesus has won for us. For we ask in his name. Amen. How do we know God's pleased with us? How do we know God's for us? Now, maybe that question is a bit of a surprise to you. You think, well, surely God's for everyone. Surely God's pleased with everyone. Why are we asking that question? But I guess for a lot of us, that will be a question that plagues us. 
how is God pleased with me? Yes, I believe Jesus died, I believe He rose, but why does that mean He's for me today, or tomorrow, or the next day? And of course, the question arises, doesn't it, often when our circumstances change. Uh, Of course, when things are going well, when we've got the job, when we've got the girl, when we've got uh, the looks, it's very easy to think, yes, God loves me, but when things go south, it's very easy, isn't it, to switch and think, God's got it out for me. Or if not our circumstances, well, then our performance. If we have a good week, if we've got up with the alarm clock, we've opened our Bibles, if we've treated everyone at college well, if we've um, not gossiped at work, we think to ourselves, well, God must be pleased with me. But then, of course, there's the bad week, isn't there? We press the snooze button instead of hitting the Bible. We're a terrible witness at college, and we think to ourselves, why would God be happy with me? How do we know that God is pleased with us today? How do we know God is for us? See, that's the question that is driving this Galatian church to embrace circumcision. Now, I'm not going to go into details, but you don't need me to tell you, hopefully, that circumcision is not a happy process for a grown man, especially in the days before anesthetic. But the attraction it offered the Galatians is this. It offered assurance of God's love today. See, the thinking was, if I get circumcised, then I will become Jewish. And if I become Jewish, then I'm part of God's blessed people. And of course, I guess no one here is looking to circumcision this evening, thankfully. But the question for us is, where do we look? Where do we look for assurance that God is for us, that He loves us today? We're going to see that there's no two ways to bless. Promise is not equal to law. We're going to see that God's blessing is only ever through promise. God's blessing is never through law. And God's blessing ultimately is received, not achieved. See, Paul's answer to that question, how do I know? Well, he says, look at Abraham. Now, you might think to yourself, why look to Abraham? Well, he is the first person. If you just pop it on another one, sorry. He is the first person after the fall to be blessed by God. So if you look at the early chapters of Genesis, you'll see that actually the picture is pretty bleak. Yes, um, creation happens, God blesses Adam and Eve and humanity. But then if we look at the next slide, you'll see that actually things go south very quickly. And all through chapters 3 to 11, the curse that God puts on the world trickles out into the whole of creation. And so we get uh, accounts like Noah, where God flooded the earth, and Babel, where people built a tower and God cursed them. But there's a glimmer of light in Genesis, in chapter 12, because here we see God bless someone for the first time. Here's what happens in chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, if you were to play a game of top trumps, anyone play top trumps still? Is that still a thing? 
if you were to play a game of Top Trumps um, of Old Testament characters, now, I've no idea whether that exists. It'd be cool if it did, wouldn't it? Uh, but if you play the game and you had the Abraham card, well, he'd do pretty well, wouldn't he, on things like cattle size. Yeah, he'd do pretty well. Uh, songs about him, yeah, Father Abraham, many songs, great song. Uh, so he'd score pretty highly. Uh, but there's one category you would always win on, and that is blessed by God. Because not only is Abraham blessed, but all the families on earth through him. Now, the key question is why, isn't it? Why did God bless Abraham? Because if we could just work that out, then we would know how God blesses us and how we can be assured of God's love towards us. Now, look at Genesis chapter 12 again and see if you can spot the why here. God says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Can you spot the why? Why does God bless Abraham? It is a trick question. So if you're struggling, that's good. Uh, (laughs) Because God promises to bless Abraham because he promises to bless Abraham. See, God doesn't look at Abraham and think, well, he's got a good character. Uh, If you read Genesis, you'll see he really hasn't. And God doesn't look at Abraham's morals and think to himself, well, he's done enough to be blessed, so I'm going to bless him. In, In fact, he's got very questionable morals. But God promises to bless Abraham and in him all the families on earth because he promises to bless them. He promises full stop. See, to put it another way, God's blessing, God's favor doesn't come through our achievements, but it comes through his promise. Or to put it in a more Galatian way, it comes through promise and not law. Now, maybe we've got to ask ourselves a question, what about us? Because that's all very well for Abraham, isn't it? I mean, he was blessed, but how does that affect me today in 2021? But secondly, we see that God's blessing is only ever through promise. Because, you know, it's all very well saying, isn't it, that Abraham was blessed, but actually there's a lot of Bible after Abraham. And the Galatian church had people come in and pointing it out to them. Yes, they would say, God has blessed Abraham by promise, but you forgot about Moses. See, Moses has come, and look at what he said. Here's what Moses says in Deuteronomy. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. You can be forgiven, can't you, for for thinking, actually, the blessing now comes by keeping the commands, decrees, and laws. Then the Lord will bless you. You'd be forgiven for thinking, we need to now keep the law. But Paul says nothing of the sort. He says, no, this blessing only ever comes through promise. And to help us see that, he points to an example in verse 15. Have a look there with me. Brothers and sisters, let me take as an example from everyday life, just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that's been duly established, so it is in this case. See, Paul's point there is that when you reach an agreement with someone, you can't change it, you can't add to it, it's an agreement. I've got an example here.
This, believe it or not, is my will. It says, the last will and testament of Robert Gareth Phillips. Yes, that is my middle name. Uh, And uh, in this will, you've got all sorts of details about what happens when I die. So you've got here a list of all the people that will inherit my debt on the moment of my death. And you've got here who's going to look after my children, who the lucky people are. And um, the point is that if I died, if I got run over by a bus tonight, this will become actionable. And you can't, once this becomes actionable, say, well, actually, do you know what? I fancy Rob's house, and I'm going to change that agreement. Or um, actually, I think his kids would be better off uh, if we you know, took them to... London Zoo or something like that. You can't do that. It's an agreement. It's set in stone. And Paul says, look, when God promises to bless the world, he's making a will that cannot be changed. See, once he promises to bless the world, it's set in stone. It's always by his promise. Yes, Moses followed Abraham, but that does not for a minute change the way God blesses. Uh, Have a look at what he says in verse 17. He says this. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant and the agreement previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. See, here's what the um, people were saying in the Galatian church. Yes, God started with promise, but now it's moved over to law. And so if we want to find God's blessing, well, we need to keep the law. But instead, Paul says, no, the law does not change the promise. It is by promise to Abraham, and it is by promise to us, and it is by promise forever. It's not that God started with promise and thought, you know what, we're switched to law keeping. It's not that God came up with this promise and thought, well, we need to add on some terms and conditions. Because God promised to bless the world through his promise. And so that means if we're looking for God's blessing today, well, we don't find it in law-keeping. We find it in his promise. It only ever comes that way. I wonder if you see that this evening. Very easy, isn't it, to have a kind of head-teacher view of God. Now, I'm not dissing head-teachers for a minute, but there was only two reasons I would go and see my head-teacher. The first was when I did well in exams, which was very rarely. The more common case was when I broke the rules, which was a bit more frequent. And God blesses, we think that God blesses us like that, don't we? Quite often. He'll love me when I'm keeping my nose clean, when I'm keeping the rules. He becomes angry when I break them. But no, God's blessing, God's favor only ever comes through his promise. I wonder if we know that. But how do we know that when we read so many commands, so many laws in the Bible. Well, thirdly, we see that God's blessing is never through the law. Um, It's helpful, isn't it, when you're kind of thinking of the question that that comes up next. Because in verse 19, I guess lots of us are asking the question that Paul gives there. What then is the purpose of the law? I mean, if the law is not the path to God's blessing, what's the point of having it at all? And Paul gives us another illustration, verse 23. He says, before faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. See, um, Paul uses an example there of kind of like a custody sergeant. I don't know if any of you watch those police programs where they 
go in the back of a, a police car with a camera, and they just film what happens day to day. I used to be utterly obsessed with these programs, partly because most of it was filmed in my hometown, and I would see my old schoolmates uh, on there. <laughs> I kid you not, this is, this is perfectly true. But anyway, when they get back to the police station, they're met with this custody sergeant, and they're normally sat on a big desk with a computer there, and the, the person who's arrested has to, uh, who's done the arresting, has to say to the custody sergeant, this is what they're arrested for. And the custody sergeant takes them off to the cells. But the thing is, that's never the end point. See, they go to the cells normally to sober up, but that's not where they stay. They either get released or they head off to be charged and go to court and perhaps prison. And Paul says the law is a bit like that. It's not ever designed to be a permanent thing. It is there to hold us as like a custody sergeant. Now, why would the law do that? Well, look at what he says in verse 24. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. See, what he's saying is the law was actually about showing us Christ. It was actually about showing us why we need him to be blessed. I don't know if you have those moments where you catch yourself in one of these. Um, I had this by the door in my office, and I used to think to myself, I'm pretty presentable, and then I would look at this and think, my goodness, have I walked around all day with toothpaste uh, down the side of my chin or hair all over the place? Um, I guess we all do that. Uh, We all find ourselves checking mirrors uh, to check how we really look. And, and the law, Paul says, is meant to be like a mirror. See, the law is about God's holiness and his character. And so as we hold that up to our lives, he shows us what we're truly like. See, the law was never meant to be something that we look at and think to ourselves, well, I can do that. It was always meant to show us why we couldn't. It's never a ladder to climb but a mirror to show us that we never could. And we need to understand this because if we're looking for God's blessing in our performance or our morals or our law-keeping, we're always going to feel condemned. A lot of people see the Bible a bit like that. Here's the kind of rule book, people say. And if you do this, then you'll find the right path. You'll be blessed. But that is to not read the law properly. And I wonder if people who say that have actually read it because the law condemns us at every turn and it should make us cry out have mercy God because I cannot be blessed this way now ask me about this in the Q&A we mustn't discount the law we mustn't say the law didn't matter far from it but we do need something else if we're going to find God's blessing and what Paul talks about comes up in our third and fourth and final point God's blessing is received, not achieved. So it's not law, but it's promise. But how does that promise filter down to you and me? Well, he tells us, verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Hear what he says, heirs according to the promise. See, that promise to Abraham to bless the world, he says, is now fulfilled in Jesus, and so that everything is now done for that to find its way to us. 
See, God made a promise to bless Abraham and through his seed, the whole world. And now, he says, that's now been achieved by the cross. It's why he says in verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. There's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. There's no difference between slave and free because everyone comes in the same route. Everyone comes through Jesus. And so God's blessing doesn't come through our performance. It doesn't come through our ability to drum up some sort of moral achievement. It comes through us receiving what God has already done in Christ by faith. It is not about being a museum piece of moral achievement. It is about being a sinner, uh, being a hospital patient in a hospital for sinners, depending day after day on the life-saving grace of Jesus. That question at the beginning, how do we know God's for us? How do we know God loves us? Not just back in the past, but today and tomorrow and the next day. Well, it is because of his promise achieved in the death of his son. And what does that mean to us? Well, maybe we're still looking into Christian things and we love having people here who are doing that. But hopefully you can see what you're looking at. See, a lot of people discount Christianity because of what they see on telly or what they see about the church. But you'll see here that it's not about the rules. It's not about a 10-step program to get better. It is primarily news of what God has already done. And for us Christians, I'm sure we need to remember that. I know I do, again and again and again. It's very easy, isn't it, to let our eyes drift onto our performance and to either feel puffed up or deflated. If we have a good week, it doesn't mean God's any more pleased with us. It doesn't matter if we have a bad week. It doesn't mean that he shuns us. Of course, Satan will tell us that we don't deserve his kindness. How dare we call ourselves a Christian? We don't deserve God's love. And of course, he is absolutely right. Because if God's love depended on us, well, none of us would have it. But God's blessing comes through promise. It always has and it always will. And that promise is now fulfilled in Jesus. So that we need not achieve but merely receive. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your promise to bless the world through Abraham. And we pray for all of us, Father, that you would write that truth on our hearts by your Spirit. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So let's start with uh, this question. Uh, How does faith fit into this if it comes from God's blessing? Uh, Isn't that still something that we have to do, uh, have faith? Um, yeah, so we are uh, justified by faith. That means we're, we're made righteous by faith. But it's really important that we understand what that faith's doing. Um, sometimes uh, it can be explained like God used to want us to keep the law. Now it's kind of about faith, and that kind of pleases God. So, um, okay, we don't do the law, but we do the faith bit, and then somehow he's appeased. But faith isn't a kind of work um, faith is the empty hand, uh, as someone put it, that grasps hold of the promise. So it's not that we're saved by God looking on our faith and thinking, well, they're really good, they're contrite. Um, it is Jesus and Jesus alone who saves us, but faith is the expression 
the acceptance of that truth. So yes, if we're, yeah, I won't say any more than that, unless you want me to. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, since we're uh, all patients uh, in the hospital, um, should we condemn others uh, on the basis of this law, uh, or do we leave this to Jesus? Um, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Uh, yeah, I don't think we ever are in the role of condemning anyone. Um, Jesus is the judge, and we're not the judge, and we need to get that right. But that doesn't mean that we cannot share God's word with people. So uh, it's really important we say this. It's not ever that we're pointing the finger at others and saying, you're not very good, um, and this is me telling you. But we do want to open God's word to say, actually, what, what is God's character like? What is he like? What, it is, what doesn't he like? And the law, I think, is really useful for that. Um, so, uh, no, we shouldn't condemn others, but I don't think, I think we've got to push people on what they mean when they say things like, God is love. So when someone says God is love, you might want to ask them, what does that mean? Well, actually, we understand what it means when we look at what he says love is. And if we look at the Sermon on the Mount, for example, Jesus says love is not even being angry in your heart against your neighbor. And so, yeah, I think it's often we have a very surface level view of what God is like, and, and the law is very helpful for pushing us to see the true depths of our sin so that we embrace Jesus. Uh, similarly, to apply that to, to ourselves a little bit more, um, do you think it's helpful to evaluate our own efforts um, to live a holy life, or should our reflection on what God has done for us be enough to motivate us? Yes and yes. Um, I think I want to say they're not either or. So the first bit of that was... Uh, evaluating our own efforts. Yes, I think um, we do want to evaluate our own efforts in the sense of um, we want to get the mirror out, don't we? Just like I evaluate um, my own efforts in my appearance. Um, sorry, that's a strange thing to say. Uh, but you get what I mean. Just as I use the mirror in the morning, you wouldn't believe it. But um, to look at what I'm really like, we need to look at God's law to realize what we're like. And I don't know about you, sometimes um, I just need God to speak to me in a, you know, there'd be things, well, look, put it this way, when I, was, when I became a Christian, they were the big things I had to shift away from. And then I thought, you know what, I've done that, I'm okay. But then actually, as you read God's word decade by decade, you realize there are very, very subtle things uh, that, um, that plague us. Things like pride, which um, Alex has spoken a bit about, um, isn't really a problem in our world, but actually it's a really big thing in God's w w uh, word. So yes, we should keep reading his word, but um, that's always got to drive us to Jesus, So, uh, and it should be that constant process. We don't want to just sort of get down in the dumps about ourselves um, because um, there's every reason to, but actually it should drive us to, to see Jesus and what he's done for us. Thanks, that's really helpful. Um, we're talking about the, mirror, the, the law being a mirror, yeah. um, and we've seen that in Galatians. Um, is that something that we can find in the Old Testament too, um, that uh, it, wasn't, it was always like that, uh, or is it only in the New Testament that we kind of can understand that that's what the law is there for? Uh, no, it's all the way through, and I think that's what Galatians is doing. I think it's saying you've misread the law if you think it's a way of propping up your ability. So, what Paul does, I think, is um, not to, he's not, yeah, he's not kind of thinking, oh, that was one view, here's my view, here's my take on it. He's using the Old Testament to say, no, look, guys, in your very scriptures, and you'll see 
that there's every evidence of this. So um, Deuteronomy I read from was a bit out of context because uh, in chapter 30, Moses talks about how they're going to need circumcision of the hearts, that actually they're not going to be able to do this. And um, I think Paul's point in Galatians, but also Romans, is you've just not read all those bits that tell you this was meant to drive you to Jesus. So absolutely, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Great. I think the, the Old Testament is really important, just setting up all, basically, why we need Jesus. And the New Testament is really just about going, he's here, but we, we need to read the Old Testament to understand why, why we need him, and there cannot be any other route. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and it makes much more sense in, in the context, doesn't it, when you're not just looking at the one, the one verse from yes, Deuteronomy. Yes, absolutely, yeah, thank um, you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I was doing the thing I tell people off for, <laughs> quoting a verse out of context. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, thank you. Um, Rebuke. <laughs> Uh, I've just lost. Well, I probably should have started this, with this question, to be honest. Just uh, a bit of uh, clarification: Is the law, the, the rules that God put in place, uh, or the add-ons that the re- religious le- leaders in Jesus' day uh, were kind of giving the people? No. So both both are a problem, but they're a different type of problem. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, so it's speaking here about the laws. The short answer is the laws from Moses. Um, so the things Moses had told the people. Um, the extra things are really um, quite serious as well, as Jesus talks about in Mark 7 when he talks about adding this extra thing about, um, yeah, so go and read that. But yes, it, it is primarily Moses um, and what God has said in the law, uh, which is, um, yeah. Great. Do you want to keep going? It's two more. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please do. Uh, so, um, yeah, this question I think came before you uh, started, but I'm going to Tweak it a little bit. So, um, Give me what, a chance, you know. Yeah. Uh, what, what on earth is Paul's point in verse 19 to 20? Oh. Um, and uh, in particular, uh, I think let's um, talk about the bit where it's uh, given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. Um, what is, why is Paul talking about angels, angels and mediators? Yeah. Uh, so it's just a caveat here. One commentator who's like an absolute brain box, really clever guy, says um, it's so complicated, verse 20, that we probably can't really recover what Paul's original meaning was. So, um, <laughs> that's encouraging. Uh, yeah. that, that's only the second half of verse 20. But uh, basically, and then another commentator said there's, they've counted up 250 different, uh, <laughs> slightly different takes on that. Wow. Uh, but anyway, the, the big point is God's one, so that's fine. Um, what, yeah, the angel spit and all that. Um, so um, what Paul's doing is he's not dismissing the law, far from it, but he is saying it's, um, it's not like the promise. So the promise was given directly to Abraham by God, but he says the law was given through a mediator and through angels. Now, that might sound like it's a bit better, but actually that's a kind of couple of steps removed from God himself. Um, so through this whole section, I think he's trying to use the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, to say, look at what it says in there. Actually, this was given through a mediator. It's from Moses. It's not directly from God. Or um, actually, it came 430 years after the promise. It wasn't the original kind of thing. Uh, and all through that, he's just kind of saying, actually, get them in the right order. Actually, the promise uh, is um, not turned into the law. It's the law that sits temporarily outside the promise. Great. And the last question um, goes a, a little bit outside uh, of this, but um, we were uh, 
we've been talking about blessing, yeah. um, and we've used that uh, word a lot, um, and that might be uh, like sometimes obvious what that, that is, um, but Genesis uh, in particular talks about curse as the flip side of that. Yeah. Um, what does a curse look like? Yeah, really helpful. So I've probably been a bit vague with that blessing word. Um, uh, so what I mean by that is uh, he talks about the inheritance, verse 18, for the inheritance depends on the law, it no longer depends on promise. And what he means by that is that um, God promised Abraham land, people, and to be blessed, to be in his favor. And so um, I think he's applying that to us to say, you're going to have a land, there's going to be a new creation, we'll get there in chapter 6. You're going to have a people, we are the people, we've just been singing about that, and you're going to be blessed, you're going to be in my faith. The flip side of that, I think, is um, that we won't have those things, we won't have um, the land, we won't have God's favor, and we won't have uh, his people. Does that answer the question? That's a 